Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome to the 64th episode of the PEM podcast, Psychic Eye Mystery Podcast. I'm your host, Victoria Laurie, with my schmabulous sister, Sandy. Thank you for joining us here for some fun. Um, and then hopefully, not so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some fun about murder. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't love a little murder? Um, well, we all do, obviously, because <laughs> we're all, you know, we're focused on it. We're talking about it. We're tuned in on it. All of the, all of the good stuff. So, um, yeah, fun, fun times, fun times. How are you doing? Doing good? Yes. Uh, crazy busy. Feel like a yeah. Tasmanian devil right now. Yeah. Yeah. I actually feel like my life is sort of calming down a little bit, which um, I still have like a like this list of stuff that just keeps getting longer. I'm like, oh, I'll tackle that in June. Okay, push that off to July. Oh, I'll tackle that in July. Push that off to August. So like this mounting list of, you know, just little stuff got to take care of and writing two books at the same time. But I have a, a good routine down, so I'm making progress. So Excellent. You know, sometimes- Excellent. You know, I, I feel like we're constantly kind of in the pursuit of a balance in life, you mm -hmm. know, like <clears throat> if I could, if I only had enough time to get through what I just need to focus on and need quiet around, right? But it's all these like little interruptions that throw you off track and suck the life out of you and suck time out of you. And then, you know, then you face weeks where you're nose to the grindstone and uh, your life goes out of whack. I constantly feel like I'm doing this, you know, with the with the balance of life. Too much work, not enough work, you know, kind of thing. I think it's adorable that you have a list that you have organized by months. Mine is by day. Like, good luck. So if it doesn't get done that day, it gets pushed to like Who's the, the next day. the procrastinator in the family? This is true. I, it, I never thought about making a list where I could do it a month later. Like, <laughs> oh my God. That's how I've lived my <clears throat> life. Yeah. Next month, next year. <clears throat> Not me. Um, yeah, it's, it, I lead a very scheduled life, which. Yes, you do. You live it, you lead a very organized life. Like your house is, you know, we've, we've talked about your kitchen before where you still have the appliance boxes, <laughs> which I find absolutely hilarious. Like, it's just so adorable, you know, and, and Sandy's kitchen uh, when she's preparing a big meal with a lot of ingredients is still super well, or she's like a sous chef here, you know, pre preparation over there and cooking over here. And then every night her entire house is just, she never goes to bed with it being anything out of our, like there's this story. I think I might've told this before about how um, 30 years ago, 20 years ago uh, I came home <clears throat> and the vacuum was out. No, oh, yeah, with you. Yeah, the vacuum was out, and I started calling around <clears throat> to all your friends because you weren't home, and neither were the boys. And the vacuum was out, and I remember calling uh, the boys. Um, uh, was Sheila and Nanny at the time? Yes, was, yeah, yeah. The boys, Nanny, and I'm like, "Have you heard from Sandy? You know, I'm in a panic." And she's like, "No, why?" I'm like, "Sheila, she left the vacuum out," and she's like, "Have you checked the hospitals?" <laughs> And that's where I was. Yes. That's where you were. My son, yeah. Matthew had fallen and hit yeah. his head uh, while yeah. I was vacuuming. So yeah. I, there was no time. It was just run because it was a head wound. So there was a lot of blood. Oh um, God. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, immediate walking in and, and immediately knowing something was wrong because the vacuum, vacuum was, was out. 
yes. out. Yes. Well, I, I have been away for the last week. I came home and it just, my sons have been living in my house <clears throat> and uh, I don't think they understand the concept of cleaning a counter. Like it's black. So if they can't really see anything on it, right. obviously it's not dirty. Right. Uh, I don't think they know where the vacuum cleaner is in the house. <laughs> uh, yeah. So see, like if you came to my place and you saw the vacuum out, you'd be like, she vacuums. No, I think you, you're very orderly and very neat. You're very neat. Yeah, I am. I tend to be, yeah, I tend to be fairly neat. I'm not, I'm not Sandy level neat, neat, which is, man, that's a whole other level that I could just aspire to. Like I, I often am like, would Sandy go to sleep with it looking like this? <laughs> yes. No, fine. I'll spend another 10 minutes. Like that is, that is actually an actual thought I have in my head. Like would well, Sandy go to bed with like, that's still left out on the counter. No, she wouldn't. That's that's actually very humorous. You you should have a conversation with my sons. So yeah, I, I'm more than happy to. Yes, please clean up. It's your yeah. mother's house. Clean up. You're adulting. Act like it. Another day. So yeah. do you have a, a book this week that you'd like to do? Yeah. I do. So I just got the excuse me. Oh, um, the ARCs, the advanced readers copies of Coaching Fire. Doo, doo, doo. Um, so this dress is a little bit of a funny story. So um, you had said to me, you know, at some point, um, I would like for you to style me. <laughs> Remember, you were like, oh, you know, drag me around and, and uh, okay. First of all, let me qualify why I said what clothes. I said. Okay. I've been living in like, you know, joggers and t-shirts for years because As I work from home. Everyone since the pandemic. True. And then I come to Michigan and I visit you and you just roll out of bed and you look like a glamour queen. So I was like, <laughs> oh, I need to upgrade. I and slept therefore... in this. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so I asked, you know, would you, when I'm, when I need a wardrobe, could we go? And would you help me pick things out? She said, yes. Me, so now do apparently some more shopping, twist my arm. Yeah, of course. Apparently I should not have said that because now that's all she ever brings up with me. When are we going shopping? When are we going yeah, shopping? Like, yeah. Like, give me the card. Let's go. Let's go. Time is money. Come on. Let's go. So anyway, so this dress is a Michael Kors dress. Um, and uh, <laughs> um, I was envisioning sort of shopping for Sandy and uh, the character Gilly is shopping for Cat. Cat is inspired by Sandy. And so I was just imagining the scenario of me dragging Sandy into Michael Kors and being like this dress, you know, because it's got like the feathers and the sort of leopard print on it and how there would be no way, no way I could even get her in a fitting room to try it on. Um, and it just made me giggle because she would rock it. She would just knock it out of the park. But uh, is something daring, something um, eye-catching? Revealing? Attention-grabbing? No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's me. Um, so anyway, so that whole scene was written with you in mind. Um, but anyway, this book takes place in Taylor, Texas, for the Texas Rose Festival. Uh, my literary agent is married to the director of that uh like a, a show parade float float parade kind of thing and he is incredible just an incredible designer and his designs are to die for so uh my agent sent me photos of the previous 
Rose Festival, which was his husband's first. And um, I was so blown away. I'm like, I have to do, I have to do a story based in Tyler, Texas around the Texas Rose Festival. So um, I had a lot of fun with this book. This is the last traditionally published in that series. I probably will continue the series here and there with uh, more episodes. More I books. hope so. I, yeah. I really enjoy the series. I also think, you know, you should point out that the book four in the series leaves the readers on a serious cliffhanger and yes. you carry that forward in yes. this particular book. Yes. All your questions get answered eventually um, about that. But yeah, well, eventually. you know, you got to drag it out. Right? No, of course. No, I, I learned a lot about the Texas Rose Festival from reading this book. So yeah, I learned a lot really. about it by uh, interviewing my agent's husband. Like it was just absolutely fascinating. The amount of work yeah. that goes into it. And the fact that like all of the fabrics are couture, you know, they're like high end there's no, you know, okay, let me just have what's on the bottom shelf here. Like the tiaras are about $30,000 a piece. Like it's just incredible. Um, the level of fashion associated with it. And the, and the, the costumes are also whimsical and so wonderful. So if you haven't had a check, uh, chance to check out the Texas Rose Festival, if you've never heard of it before, look it up. And especially look at the last two years, because those were the two that um, he did. And they're just amazing. Absolutely amazing. So Coaching Fire, that comes out in November. So pre-order wherever books are sold. Um, and you'll have a chance to read it in November. It's worth it. So please pre-order. Yes. And okay, so anecdote today. Um, <clears throat> this is a cute one, a little bit on the short side, but it's cute. So I was reading for a client of mine that uh, I've been reading for for a couple of years. He's such a dear, such a doll. I absolutely adore him. And I know that he likes uh, to write poetry. So his father came in and his father is, or maybe his mother-in-law. So either his mother-in-law or his father, I can't remember which one, <clears throat> but they're both very talkative and have shown up in previous readings. Um, and uh, they showed me script with musical notes around it so I asked him I said are you writing music and he shook his head and I said well I know you write poetry are you thinking about doing musical lyrics and he's like well I don't I don't I don't know the notes I wouldn't know how to start and I'm like what's well, a language you could learn it you know I'm trying to be encouraging and I said if you ever do write a song enter a contest because this is the message that I'm getting is um, enter a contest with the writings, right? And they keep putting musical notes around it. So he's like, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm just not doing that. And I, I finally said to him, well, it keeps showing me your writing and they're putting musical notes all over it. And his eyes lit up and he told me, he said, oh my God, Victoria. He said, um, I recently went to go see, uh, he said, I'm a huge sci-fi fan, huge Star Trek fan. And apparently there's a musical out there, um, a Star Trek musical kind of thing, right? So he went to the show, the show. He's like, I was so entertained. I absolutely loved it. And I have written a note to the writer of the show that I'm going to send him and thank him because he's inspired me to start writing my own sci-fi novel. So the musical notes nice. around the writing, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, 
uh, and he's like, it never would have occurred to me if, when I finish it to enter a contest, I'm like, I'm telling you, you have to, you have to enter a contest. I said, you know, they're, they're insistent. So fingers crossed that when he, yeah. finishes, he does it, he, he enters and wins. I hope it's a big prize. I do too. <laughs> That'd be really cool. Cause he's a love and, you know, it's kind of, um, I meet a lot of people who love writing and have always sort of had that dream of completing something and having it published, having it acknowledged. Um, and, uh, you know, you want to encourage people to fulfill that. It doesn't really take long. And my whole point to him honestly was, listen, if you commit to one page a day, you've got a book in a year. If you just say, Hey, I'm not going to go to bed until I've written 325 words to fill up a page you will have a book in a year. It's 365 pages long. So, um, you know, of course, if you commit to a page a day, if you're like, bar none, doesn't matter what's going on, doesn't matter if I'm sick, doesn't matter, you know, uh, if I'm busy, doesn't matter if I'm tired, I'm going to commit to this page. If you truly commit to it, there will be many, many, many days where you are on a roll and you'll go further than that page. You'll crank out 10. And so you'll, you'll very likely have a book in less than a year. The the whole key is momentum. And that's that's for me. Like I literally have a spreadsheet <laughs> mm -hmm. where I track my progress. And when I hold myself to that one at least bare minimum one page a day, I always write a book in like three weeks. Like it always just invariably happens. And there have been many nights where it's been 1130 and I'm exhausted and all I want to do is go to sleep and I'm like typing just to type just to fill up the page not off, wake up the next morning. Oh my God, I sound drunk. Out that goes, yeah. but right. It counted for that day. So, um, so yeah. So if you've got a novel in you and you're looking for a way to hold yourself accountable to completing it, I suggest drafting a spreadsheet just to, um, track your progress because it's very encouraging. If you've gone 10 days and you've written, you know, 40 pages, um, uh, that's an accomplishment and it's the momentum you might need. So, you know, what I think is really neat about your anecdote is that he, he didn't come to the reading specifically asking about his book. Right. Right. And what I think is really neat is that he is in some respects destined to write this book and yeah. to enter the contest, but he wouldn't yeah. have known it. Right. Wasn't even thinking about it until his deceased died. yeah, loved ones came through with it yeah. and, and said, Hey, this is part of your plan. Exactly. So it made, exactly. it made me realize that I typically, when I'm engaging in a reading with you, uh, I always have a pre, I have an agenda. These are the things I want to, I want covered. These are the yeah. things I want to know about. Yeah. And, and so I, which is good, which is, is great. It really helps honestly. Oh, okay. Cause no, I was going to say, I'm never helps. surprised by, like, I would love to be surprised by some, you know, fortunate well, because you're on track though, you oh, know, okay. like you're on track. There isn't anything true, that you true. are, you know, is, is like hanging out here not being worked on. Cause you were working on everything. You're such a visionary Sandy. So you're working on everything. Um, all of your, I want to do this. I want to accomplish that. I want to do that. So uh, with this client, particular client, he's a little overwhelmed with work He's recovering from a long illness. And this was just something that has always been on the back burner that it's now time to move mm -hmm. to the front burner. Thank you so. for the clarification. And 
the validation that I'm <laughs> on track because I feel like You're totally I'm on track. The rails. I feel like I'm off the rails, but that's no. okay. <laughs> no, totally on track, babe. Totally on track. Okay, cool. Well, um, we have a really interesting case uh, to share today. I am really anxious to hear your insights about it because I cannot figure out what happened. Um, and I think most people after hearing this will be kind of stumped about what actually took place. So uh, this is a case surrounding a woman who vanished on Mother's Day. Her name is Suzanne Morphew. Uh, she is from Colorado and she was last seen on Mother's Day 2020. Uh, her body has yet to be found, but authorities believe she is no longer alive. And following her disappearance, her husband, Barry Morphew, became the prime suspect, largely due to circumstantial evidence, and was ultimately charged with her murder. When the district attorney dropped their suit against Barry, he sued several named investigators in the case for being wrongfully charged in his wife's disappearance and presumed death. Unfortunately, despite all the legal drama, the circumstances surrounding the disappearance of Suzanne Morphew on May 10, 2020, remains a mystery. Born April 30th, 1971, Suzanne grew up in Alexandria, Indiana, the same hometown as Barry Morphew. The two met while attending Alexandria Monroe High School, where Suzanne was a popular student and Barry was a star baseball player. Upon Barry's graduation, two years ahead of Suzanne, the two started dating and Barry was drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays. Following the couple's marriage in 1994, Barry started a landscaping business and Suzanne became a school teacher. Ultimately, she opted to be a stay-at-home mom to raise their two daughters, Mallory and Macy. When Mallory, Mallory left home to attend college in Colorado, the family decided to move from Indiana to Maysville, just outside of Salida, Colorado, to be closer to Mallory. However, many suspect that the move was also an attempt to revive the couple's troubled marriage. Early in the morning on May 10, 2020, Mother's Day, Barry left home to drive to a job site 150 miles away in Broomfield, Colorado. Mallory and Macy, who were away on a camping trip making their way home, sent a text to their mom to wish her a happy Mother's Day, but oddly, Suzanne did not respond. Concerned, Mallory contacted her father to let him know she'd been unable to reach their mother. Thinking that Suzanne had gone on a bike ride, Barry reached out to a neighbor to ask them to check on his wife and to confirm whether Suzanne's bike was in the garage. When the neighbor relayed that there was no sign of Suzanne, her bike helmet, or her blue-pedaled bicycle, Barry asked the neighbor to contact the local police. He told investigators that he last saw his wife asleep in their bed when he left the family home around 5 a.m. that morning for Broomfield to do a landscaping job. Presuming Suzanne had gone out for a bike ride, authorities combed the local Chaffee County area for signs of Suzanne. On May 15th, search crews found her mountain bike located down a steep ravine off Chaffee County Road 225 near Highway 50, not too far from the Morphew home. Deputies said the bicycle did not look like it was involved in a crash as no blood was found near the bike, nor was there any evidence of a struggle. A few days later, Suzanne's helmet was discovered about a mile away from where the bike was found off the side of Highway 50. Considering that Suzanne's sunglasses and hydration backpack were found inside her car, investigators surmised that the bike and the helmet scenes may have been staged and that Suzanne never really went for a bike ride that Mother's Day morning. Detectives immediately focused their attention on Barry Morphew as their investigation into Suzanne's disappearance turned up some very damning evidence. Investigators learned from various friends of the couple that Suzanne and Barry had been arguing, among other things, about finances. Based upon this information, investigators retrieved messages and notations from Suzanne's iCloud account that confirmed the couple had a troubled marriage and that Suzanne may have been involved in an extramarital affair. Namely, text messages between Suzanne and her longtime friend, Sheila Oliver, 
which took place between September 2019 and March of 2020, detailed Suzanne's fractured relationship with Barry. Suzanne texted Sheila, quote, says he loves me and can't handle the pain from me not giving him the love he needs, does not mention all the damage he's done to me physically, mentally, end quote. In a later text, she wrote, quote, told him I'm done, that I need peace, not sure what's next, and he tries to use money as a tool and the girls. I didn't take the bait, end quote. On March 25th, Suzanne referred to Barry as a Jekyll and Hyde texting, quote, he won't speak of divorce, begging for another chance. I'm so torn, but in my heart, I know who he is, end quote. Quote, I feel no peace when he's here and I would not feel safe alone with him, end quote. On May 6, 2020, Suzanne sent Barry a stern text, which indicated she wanted to end their relationship. Quote, I'm done. I couldn't care less what you're up to and have been for years. We just need to figure this out civilly. Barry's response included threats of suicide. Quote, when I'm dead, which won't be long, you guys will be taken care of and I'm going to see my savior, end quote. On May 8, 2020, two days before her disappearance, Suzanne composed a list of entitled grievances, which included wedding ring, which Barry allegedly took and melted at some point, Mexico, signifying a time when Barry had attempted to take Suzanne's phone from her so she he could look through it, women on Facebook, which Barry claimed was good for his landscaping business. On the morning of May 9, 2020, a day before Suzanne was reporting missing, she exchanged 59 messages with a man who was apparently her boyfriend, including a selfie that investigators dubbed her last proof-of-life photo. On May 15th, investigators searched the Morphew home and turned up a spy pen in a walk-in closet in the Morphew's master bedroom. Apparently, Suzanne had purchased the voice-activated pen to catch Barry in the act of having an affair, but instead, she inadvertently recorded conversations that she had with her secret lover. It took months for investigators to identify the man who turned out to be Jeff Liebler, an old high school friend, because he did not come forward on his own after Suzanne vanished. Investigators learned that Jeff was married with six children and living in Michigan. Apparently, Suzanne and Jeff had been having an affair for almost two years and had met on at least six different occasions out of state. The two had discussed marriage and even moving to Ecuador once Suzanne left Barry. Jeff told authorities he had deleted all evidence of their communication because he didn't want Suzanne's legacy to include the affair. Eventually, investigators verified Jeff's alibi and he was cleared. The Morphew home was also turned, uh, also searched and turned up additional suspicious evidence. Detectives spotted a vertical crack along the doorframe of the couple's master bedroom to which Barry claimed the prior owners said it wasn't there when they sold the house to the Morphews. Barry was then asked if that was the result of an argument of him being locked out, to which he responded, I have no idea what that's from. Investigators also discovered a clear plastic needle cap in the Morpheus family dryer, which caused detectives to consider that Barry may have used a tranquilizer gun to incapacitate Suzanne and then murder her. While Barry admitted that he was an experienced tranquilized gun shooter and had immobilized deer that had wandered on his property, he denied using such a weapon on his wife. Using digital forensics, Coupled with physical evidence discovered at the Morphew home and from Suzanne's iCloud account, investigators theorized that on May 9th, Barry, who was out running errands, sent Suzanne a text at 2.26 p.m. telling her he was on his way home. With no response from Suzanne, Barry texted her again, quote, did you leave? And again, his message was met with silence. Investigators believe Barry returned home soon after, shot Suzanne with his tranquilizer gun, chased her around the house, and damaged the master bedroom door as he tried to get to Suzanne and murder her. Cell phone records appear to show Barry's phone pinging all around the Morphew home on May 9th. When asked about this unusual phone activity, Barry told investigators he was running around the property shooting chipmunks, which he claimed were a constant nuisance. 
Barry told investigators that he went to bed around 8 p.m. on May 9th, but his truck's computer shows that the vehicle was put in reverse and backed up towards the Morphew house around 9.30 p.m. On May 10th, the day that Suzanne was reported missing, surveillance footage captured Barry disposing of trash at multiple dumpster locations around Broomfield, Colorado, while he was in town for work. Barry told investigators he often dropped trash in, in accessible bins to avoid paying to have it disposed of in a landfill. However, detectives believe Barry was disposing of evidence. Investigators also learned that shortly after Barry heard that Suzanne might be missing around 2 p.m. on May 10th, he did not start his drive home from Broomfield, where he had planned to spend the night with his crew at a hotel, until a few minutes past 6 p.m. Investigators also discovered scratch marks on Barry's arm, which they photo-documented three days after Suzanne was reported missing, indicating there may have been some type of physical altercation between Barry and Suzanne leading up to her murder. The, su the suggestion that Suzanne may have run off on her own to leave a troubled marriage seems implausible, given that Suzanne had overcome Hodgkin's lymphoma for the second time after having completed her last chemo treatment six months before she vanished. According to interviews with Suzanne's closest closest friend, Sheila, she felt unequipped to leave because when Suzanne would argue about it with Barry, he would ask her how she expected to pay for her cancer treatments. Barry Morphew was arrested on May 5th, 2021 on charges of murder after deliberation tampering, tampering with deceased, sorry, uh, he was charged with tampering with a deceased human body, tampering with physical evidence, possession of dangerous weapon, and attempting to influence a public servant. In their arrest affidavit, prosecutors spelled out what they believed happened to Suzanne. It had become clear that Barry could not control Suzanne's insistence on leaving him, and he resorted to something he has done his entire life, hunt and control Suzanne like he had hunted and controlled animals. Barry pleaded not guilty to all charges, and on September 20th, 2021, he was released on bond his daughters, Mallory and Macy, standing by his side as the family left the courthouse. Interestingly, days after his May 5th arrest for murder, Barry faced additional charges for allegedly submitting a mail-in ballot on behalf of his missing wife, casting her vote for Donald Trump. Barry pled guilty to forgery of public records and misdemeanor elections mail ballot offense in July of 2022. However, the prosecution murder case was afflicted with complications. In December of 2021, Judge Patrick Murphy, assigned to preside over the case, removed himself after the defense attorneys raised questions about a conflict of interest. In February of 2022, the murder trial was moved from Chaffee County to Fremont County because it was deemed that a fair trial could not be assumed in the small community of Chaffee with so much neg negative pretrial publicity following Suzanne's disappearance. In March of 2022, Barry's lawyers asked for a dismissal after they received an internal affairs document alleging that the Colorado Bureau of Investigations agent in charge, Joe Cahill, stated that the arrest of the suspect now as the worst decision that could have been made, as he believed it was premature and hasty. This conclusion may be due in part because investigators discovered mysterious male DNA in Suzanne's Range Rover, which test results in October 2022. 2020 revealed at least a partial match to an unnamed man connected to three unsolved sexual assault cases in Tempe, Phoenix, and Chicago. Further, despite their suspicions, authorities could not produce any forensic evidence linking Barry Morphew to Suzanne's demise. There were also several pretrial hearings scheduled regarding what evidence and testimony was going to be allowed in court. Barry's defense team requested severe sanctions on the prosecution for failing to turn over potentially exculpatory evidence ahead of trial. In all, the court excluded 14 of the prosecution's expert witnesses after finding that 
the DA and her team repeatedly missed deadlines and failed to provide important information as part of a pattern of reckless discovery violations. As a result, the 11th Judicial District Attorney, Linda Stanley, filed a motion to dismiss without prejudice, which was granted by a judge on April 18, 2022, just nine days before Barry was due to stand trial. However, the dismissal means that prosecutors can file charges against Barry Morphew at a later date. When asked by reporters if he had anything to do with the disappearance and presumed death of Suzanne, Barry responded, absolutely not. We had a wonderful life, a wonderful marriage. She was just so loving and giving and such a good mother. He went on to say that the years leading up to Suzanne's disappearance on May 10, 2020 included bad decisions he claimed Suzanne made while battling with drugs and chemotherapy for Hodgkin's lymphoma. He also denied any trouble in their 26-year marriage or any involvement in his 49-year-old wife's disappearance. 13 months following his case dismissal, on May 2, 2023, Barry and his attorneys filed a $15 million civil rights lawsuit against prosecutors and investigators, alleging that he was wrongfully charged in his wife's disappearance and presumed death. The lawsuit named Chaffee County, the Chaffee County Sheriff's Office, and several named investigators in the case, including those working for the Colorado Bureau of Investigation and the FBI. It's been a little over three years since Suzanne Morphew disappeared. The case remains under investigation and is actively being worked on, but in compliance with the Colorado statute, state statute. CBI is adding the Morphew case to their database of cold cases as the case remains unsolved three years since its occurrence. The now 56-year-old Barry Morphew has consistently maintained his innocence in Suzanne's disappearance and has publicly stated that he believes his wife was abducted. Morphew's two daughters continue to stand by their dad and have called the last few years literally our worst nightmare. Despite the high-profile media attention and extensive legal proceedings, the circumstances surrounding Suzanne Morphew's disappearance on Mother's Day weekend 2020 still remains an unsolved mystery. My, <clears throat> excuse me, my sources for this story include CBS Colorado, Barry Morphew in court. Investigator says Suzanne Morphew was having an affair when she disappeared August 9th, 2021. Fox 21 News, it's been hard and confusing time. Barry Morphew's daughters plead for court to allow their father, father to visit by Kate Singh, Laura Scharf, January 6, 2022. CBS News, 48 Hours, Evidence in the Suzanne Morphew Case, April 19, 2022. CBS KKTV 11, Disappearance of Colorado Mom, Suzanne Morphew is officially a cold case by Tony Keith and Lauren Watson, May 10th, 2023. CBS Colorado, it's been more than three years since Colorado mom Suzanne Morphew went missing. The mystery is still no closer to being solved by Jennifer McRae, May 12, 2023. The Denver Gazette, nephew of Suzanne Morphew, tried, tired of legal limbo, asked Jared Polis to get involved by Carol McKinley, May 12, 2023. People Magazine, husband of missing mom Suzanne Morphew, speaks out after filing lawsuit. P Prosecutors had tunnel vision by Tristan Bellagatz. May 15, 2023, and finally, The Daily Beast. Suzanne Morphew's husband blames her for making bad decisions during chemo. Bipolar Melendez, May 15, 2023. So, what do you think happened? Oh, I think he murdered her. You do? Yeah, yeah, I really do. I really do. I mean, it's <clears throat> it's just really interesting to me when he gets notified by the girls that they haven't heard from her. He calls a neighbor and sends him right to the garage to check on the bike, right? Not, can you knock on the door? Can you search the house? Have you seen her in the neighborhood? Is there a car there, right? It's go see if her bike is there. 
that's telling to me, you know, like imagine if, if you couldn't reach me, right. You know, I'm a runner, right. But you're going to search first the, the area that might be closest to my home before you jump to the, has anybody checked the running trail? Right. So, um, especially when they have had no conversation prior to apparently the night before, because supposedly he left her asleep in bed. Mm -hmm. So did, did they have a conversation the night before about that? She was going to go for a bike ride. Did he tell the girls, well, she's probably gone on a bike ride. No, he calls the neighbor and says, go look for her bike Mm -hmm. because he knows it's not there because he knows it's over a ravine, uh, in the bushes along with her helmet. The leaving her sunglasses and hydration pack in the car, that's super telling to me. First of all, I am a runner. I know what it's like to run in like even mild temperatures in the 60s. It's your body temperature rises. She's 49 years old. It's much harder as you get older to um, keep yourself cooler. So a 49-year-old woman going for a bike ride is not going to leave her sunglasses and her hydration pack in her car. The fact that it was in her car, right, tells me that he was like, okay, I'll stage this, grab the bike, grab the back, uh, the bike helmet, never thought like through the details enough to grab also the hydration pack and the sunglasses. So those were left behind at the house, right? Because no, they're in, car. they were in her car. They were in a car, but where was the car? Oh, uh, hold on. I don't think it was at the house. Okay. Still, still. So he drives the car with the bike, leaves those things in, in the car is thinking, oh, I'll just throw the bike and the helmet over the ravine into the ravine. And people will just assume she got on her bike and boop, off she went. Right. Right. She's just, she's not going to leave those two things. That's just not it's May. That's not going to happen. That just doesn't happen. Especially after chemo, uh, chemotherapy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You're not going to leave the two most essential things you need out there to keep yourself alive. Mm-hmm. So that is completely implausible to me. Um, there's no blood on the helmet, no blood on the bike, no struggle. They only found a partial match of DNA. Mm-hmm. to a serial sexual abuser. Mm-hmm. So a relative of of his could have been in the car. A distant cousin of his could have been in the car. Yeah. It's a it's a partial match, meaning there's a family tree where he connects to someone who might have been in her car. This could mm-hmm. have been completely innocent. She could have transferred the DNA herself by rubbing up against someone someone else. Like there's a thousand reasons why a partial match to a sexual serial predator would be found in her car that do not include that sexual serial predator um making her for a target yeah i i'm looking over my notes and i don't i don't know where the car was i only know that based on if it was at home if it wasn't at home yeah it almost doesn't matter right right because those two things were left in the car. Wherever the car was, they were left in the car. Right. She is 100% not going to get on her bike without those two things. It's just not going to happen. Agreed. Um, 
Uh, So if she was the victim of sexual assault, right? Sign of a, there was a struggle. She's on her bike. She's fending off someone. Bike and helmet get tossed over. Struggle, struggle, struggle. She is raped, assumingly raped, um, and murdered somewhere and body hidden. Blah 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 blah. Where the fuck are her clothes? Is he is he raping her through her clothes? Like at least there's going to be some trace of some clothing. Um, biking shorts. Kind of hard to rape someone through biking shorts. Yeah. So those are going to be somewhere around and yet they're not around. It's just the helmet and the bike. Exactly. So um, completely staged bullshit. As far as the whole running around the property, shooting chipmunks. Okay. Chipmunks need 15 hours of sleep a day, 15 hours. Okay. They are very territorial. They stick to like their little burrow in one corner, fend off all the other chipmunks in the area. That's why when you have a house, you usually only see two or three chipmunks. That's about it. So his whole, I was out hunting chipmunks, fucking bullshit. <laughs> no, you weren't. You're a fucking liar. So, you know, because it, it, they're, they're such a nuisance. Chipmunks aren't a nuisance. They're a nuisance, yes, if they get, you know, into your roof line. But in general, they stick to um, uh, burrows where they can you know, burrow easily. They're not really causing thousands of dollars of damage so that you need to go on some sort of shooting up, shoot them up rampage to get yeah. rid of the chipmunks. I could see squirrels, but he said chipmunks. Yeah. Like fucking bullshit. That's fucking bullshit. Okay. The whole um, cap of the syringe found in the dryer. Yeah. That to me is super telling, super telling. It's not deer season. It's May. Why is he shooting deer? Why is he shooting anything with a tranquilizer? There's no hunting season in May. So that's bullshit. My thinking is, is that he threw that with the clothes that he murdered her in, into the washer and and then into the dryer. And that was left in the dryer. So his story to me falls apart from the get-go um and the whole the vertical crack in the door you know the uh he flat out lied about their marriage everybody knew their marriage was in trouble yes right no we had this wonderful relationship no trouble at all she made some bad decisions when she was going through chemo listen to me i i have a a beloved client of mine who, thank the baby Jesus, survived her cancer treatments. She had two forms of cancer, cancer, and they treated both at the same time, radiation and chemo. She couldn't move. It's not like there's any decision-making to be made when you're undergoing those treatments. You're just trying to stay alive. Yeah. You know, that's intense. No one is you know, processing grand thoughts on decisions that have repercussions when you are going through chemo. You're just really focused on, I just am trying to get through this period of time the best that I can. I'm focused on one breath at a time. She was likely uncomfortable, in pain, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What bad decisions is she making? What bad decisions, asshole? So 
his whole story is just and and the pattern of this verbal abuse and um keeping her under his thumb the whole you know well if you leave who's going to pay for your cancer treatments fuck you you are asshole you are going to pay for those cancer treatments because number one is the right thing to do number two as she's going through divorce her attorney's going to ask for that and then you'll have to pay for it so ah oh, this man just really I hate him. I absolutely hate him. I hate him for what he did to this woman. He tortured her. He murdered her. He um, controlled her. He verbally abused her. He very obviously physically abused her. The girls, I can understand them wanting to stand by their dad because the thought of your father murdering your mother is just kind of too much. You can't, you have to deny it. You have to you have to, right? Yeah. Like it's just too much for these girls, I think, to own, but it's just so obvious energetically. He absolutely murdered her. Absolutely. He, and the whole disposing of yeah. um, garbage all yeah. around, right? Oh, I do that all the time. Okay. Where's the videotape of that? If they can get the videotape of him doing it once, they can get the videotape of him doing it subsequent, you know, prior to, or even since, like, where's that? Well, do you think, what do you think the outcome is going to be? I think that they will put a case together, They that they bungled it, but I do believe they'll put a case together and I do believe they'll take him to trial. And I do believe that he will at some point in the future be found guilty. And do we think her body will ever be recovered? No, because I, I really think that he dismembered her. Um, he's a hunter, so he knows how to do that and disposed of the pieces all around. So they're either in a landfill or in the wilderness, you know, chunks were thrown into the woods somewhere or wherever and coyotes or mountain lions or whatever got to it, you know? So that's a lot of blood evidence to have to clean up. You know, I'm surprised they didn't I mean, they may not be disclosing what they did find as far as blood yeah. evidence is concerned, but yeah. uh, to simply- Well, if she's tranquilized, he can just take her to a different place. That's true. That's you know? true. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't have to kill her in the house. That is true. Sorry. Or just I'm not thinking. Her in the house. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking you know? like Saturday mystery. Yeah. Tune <laughs> <laughs> in in an hour. Yeah. Well, the whole purpose of tranquilizing her is to, to be able to take her someplace to kill her uh, easily. Yes. And then do what he has to do to get rid of the the rest. Right. Right. So uh he likely took her out then on the ninth, not not the yeah. tenth. That's yeah. my that's my belief. Yes. Mm -hmm. He didn't leave her asleep in the bed. No, no fucking way did he leave her asleep in the bed. No way. Then nope. Mother's Day too, you know. Which makes him an even more evil SOB. Yeah. Asshole. I really hope he rots at some point in the in uh prison and i i know he's brought this lawsuit blah 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 um i just tuning in on it it just feels empty which for me means he's likely not to either win it or get any um money okay it could mean a settlement but um because it feels empty is sort of telling to me that there is no money exchanged that it just winds up being you know, noise. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you for your insights.
and and commentary sleuthness <laughs> <laughs> and commentary <laughs> fucking did it yeah um, i i am really heated about this one because to me it's just so obvious that he did it and i can't even believe that the police have bungled it as much as they have well it's a small county it's a small yeah. area it doesn't have a lot of activity or a lot of residents mm-hmm. so um, well that's why you call in the cbi like that's exactly why you call them in to make sure that things are done in a in a as thorough and uh, patient and uh, detailed manner as possible. If this case is too much for you, that's what CBI is for. Yeah. You know. I. Yeah. So hopefully, the outcome is yeah. what you were will suggest and yeah. uh i have see- i kind of have a feeling it's going to it's actually going to be cbi that puts it all together and brings yeah. him uh brings a prosecution uh prosecute him so well hopefully it'll be soon sooner yes. rather than later fingers crossed yeah. yeah okay well that's it for this week <laughs> ending on a positive note um if you uh, would like to join in on the conversation offer a comment uh, insights suggestions anything uh join us on facebook at uh, psychic eye mysteries podcast and uh victoria and i always love hearing from anybody that listens um you can comment on any of the channels that you are currently um, watching or experiencing us and if you'd like to learn more about victoria please head to victorialaurie.com and learn about me learn about my books books book a session all of the above Yes. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thank you so very much for tuning in this week. Victoria, as always, thank you. you. Love you too. And we will see everyone again next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.